Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is confusion in our day as regards of who is a true Christian. I'm not sure if we even understand ourselves in the life of the church who is truly a believer. What does it mean to be a believer? Is a believer just simply someone that's a member of a congregation? Is that what it means to be a believer? Is there more to it? Does it mean I'm a believer because I was baptized as an infant? Does it mean that I'm a believer because I was catechized, that my parents were Christian and I was raised, what they say, in a Christian home? Is that what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian? Maybe it means that I'm a member of a congregation, that I come forward and I partake of the Lord's Supper, that I give some of my offering on Sunday mornings. And I give a little bit of time, not a whole lot, but I give a little bit of time to the church. I'm involved in some of the functions of the church, partake of some of the rites of the church. Is that what it means to be a believer? That is not what the scripture declares with regards to a believer. A believer is a new creation in Christ Jesus. A believer is one who has been born from above, born of the Holy Spirit, born anew. He is a new creature in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He was one who was once dead, but now he is alive in Jesus Christ. He walks in newness of life, which is not a perfect life, but it certainly is a new direction in his life. He is one who has new loves, new affections, new desires, new direction, new standard, new disposition of the will. This is what a believer is. A believer is one who trusts in Jesus Christ. He believes all things written in God's Word. It doesn't mean he understands everything in God's Word, but he believes all things in God's Word. He believes the Gospel. He says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. I once was blind, but now I see, because I have been made to see. This is a believer. It may not be just somebody that's a member of the church. You may be a member of the church and be a true believer, and you may be a member of the church and you're still an unbeliever. Because you're not trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't see yourself as vile in the sight of God. You think pretty well of yourself. You think you're a good person. And you think God should accept you because you're a good person. That's your mindset. That's how you approach it. You look at other people and you say, I'm not as bad as they are. Well... We read about that with the, the parable with the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's what the Pharisee does. I'm not like them. I'm better than them. I've actually made myself better than them because I do these particular things. Same thing with a rich young ruler. So he ran up to Jesus. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Which one? He gave him the second table of the law. Well, I've kept all those things from my youth. This man was so blind, he didn't even understand the disposition of his own soul. So Jesus said, well, there is one thing you lack. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. What did Jesus mean by that? He meant that the man's God was his money, his possessions. 
And that the man would not depart from his idolatry was evident because he walked away sad because he had many possessions. You see, a believer is one who has been crucified with Christ. The world is dead to the believer and the believer is dead to the world. He once was darkness, now he is light. He once was a goat, now he's a sheep in Christ Jesus. He lives now a different, distinct life. His praise, His glory is Jesus Christ. He names the name of Jesus Christ. He says, I walk by faith. Somebody asks you, why should you be led into heaven? I shouldn't. Of myself, I shouldn't. But it's the one on the middle cross that said, I have lived and died for you, and you are mine. My sheep enter into the joy of your Lord. It's Him. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about who I am or what I have done, but it's who He is and what He has done on my behalf. That's what a believer says. An unbeliever, I'm pretty good. I keep the commandments. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as other people. I do this, that. I give the offering. I come to church on Sundays, throw a few shekels in there. I do this, I do... Constantly looking to themselves. You know, this is what the believer says. Bid darkness turn today, wipe sorrows, tears away, nor let me ever stray from thee aside. You understand your own weakness. And apart from the Spirit of God working in you, keeping you on the narrow path that leads to life, you know you would stray aside. I know it as well. If the Lord let us loose right now, beloved, we would all run back and lick up the vomit, just like the dog. We would, as once washed, we would go back right into the pig pen. That's the work of the Spirit, to keep us on the straight and narrow path. And we must keep ourselves on the straight and narrow path. It's a two-working. Notice the hymn also says, Blessed Savior, then in love, fear and distrust remove. Notice the songwriter. Notice what he's saying, that he has fear in his heart. He has distrust in his heart. And he knows he needs to put it off. And he's calling on the Lord to put that off. Oh, bear me safe above a ransomed soul. This is what it looks like to be a believer. Paul said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Unbelievers don't say that. You'll notice something um, that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans uh, chapter 8. Listen to what he says in this particular chapter. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is not talking about being in the body. The fleshly mind is that which is totally depraved. It's a mind that is bent in opposition to God. It is hostile to the things of God. It is not subject to the law of God. It hates God. It suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. It does not confess sinfulness. This is a mind of the flesh. 
And the Apostle Paul then says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So let me ask you this question. Do you have any affection for Jesus? A heartfelt desire to love Him, to honor Him. It is not what it ought to be, but is there love in your soul for the things of God? Because that is not in the heart of the natural man. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Because the things of God are discerned spiritually. The natural man is dead in his trespasses and sins. Light has come into the world. Here's the condemnation. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they will not come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. Notice their moral attitude is that they hate God. They will not come to Christ the light. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, You will not come to me uh, that you might have life, but you will die in your sins because you do not believe that I am He. This is the mind of the unbeliever. And this is what Paul says, we all once partook of this, Ephesians chapter 2. We all once were dead, but as believers, we're washed. You're washed by the blood of the Lamb, 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you, idolaters, adulterers, whoremongers, uh, thieves, covetous. Such were some of you, but no longer. Now you are light in the Lord as those who are cleansed by the working of the Spirit and the Word. There is a great distinction, beloved, between a believer and an unbeliever. The difficulty that we have in assurance of salvation is that sin isn't completely eradicated, practically speaking, in the life of the believer. Sin is not a substance, it's a rebellion of our heart. It's a condition of the heart. It's a condition that wants to do its own will. I know what God says, but I think. That's the rebellion that's still, that's the lawlessness that is still there. Practically speaking. And that's why the Apostle Paul, as we saw in Ephesians 4, says, put it off. You've got to daily put off that sin of rebellion, of wanting to do your own thing, even though you know what the Lord says in His Word. And there is the contention, isn't it? The contention that goes on in the soul. We are not as loving as we ought to be. We're not as kind as we ought to be. Sometimes you wake up, as you say, on the wrong side of the bed, and you don't feel like being kind to people. You don't feel like being loving. And you know that's wrong, and you know you have the conviction, and you know you cry out to God at times, Lord, forgive me. And you know, our crying out to God isn't even what it ought to be. This can really rock the assurance of salvation if you're not understanding the teaching of God's Word. Notice, as we're reading uh, Ephesians 5, but coming into our text, the Apostle is saying that we are not to be a people that are in fornication or uncleanness, so a, a particular lifestyle, but we're also not to be people that are constantly sinning with the tongue. So be careful, you who say, well, I never did this sin of the flesh. How's your tongue? Have you learned to control your tongue? Do you demonstrate that you are one of the redeemed because you are godly in your speech? No, we all stumble in many things, don't we? We love to be able to point fingers at somebody else and say, well, I never did this. Yeah, but if you haven't committed adultery, but yet you covet, you've still broken all the commandments of God. 
Paul says this in, in our text. For this you know. How do you know? This you know. Gnosko. It's a knowledge of the mind. How do we know? We know from the teaching of God's Word. God has spoken to us in His Word. His Word is the standard. His Word is the light that illumines the darkness. So, we know this. In the more, beloved, that you are cultivating God's Word in your life, the more that you're knowing, the more that you're convicted, the more that you're going to walk in wisdom's way. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is a righteous application of that knowledge. It's applying it in a righteous manner. Paul says you know this. This is from the Word of God an axiom, as it were. Everybody knows this. That no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man. Let me just stop right there. Speaking first of all to the fornicator. Pornos. Uh, the Greek term. It relates to any sexual relationships outside of the marriage bonds. Now, you could say for you young people, but it's for us older people as well. Any relationship apart from the marriage relationship with a sexual intimacy is an abomination to the Lord. We know this from the law of God. It comes under the purview of the seventh commandment. And we know it's an abomination and it's under the wrath and curse of God. Writer of the Hebrews said, adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, God will judge. So that's the first thing he says. That those that are practicing this, practicing fornicators, this is one who is unrepentant in the life. They don't have a conviction of what they're doing is wrong in a violation of the commandments of God. And because they don't have the conviction of what they're doing is wrong, then they continue to do it. Let me use a movie example. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to. In the movie Walk the Line with Johnny Cash, there is a scene in there where he is knocking on June Carter's hotel room and he says to her, what we're doing is not wrong. He's married and he's got four kids at home. He's fornicating with this woman and he's saying it's not wrong. And so they did There's a song that says, how can something that feels so good be so wrong? And so we want to say, well, it it, it feels good, so it can't be wrong. And yet God condemns it in His Word. And believers know this. By the working of the Spirit through the Word, we're convicted. And our minds then are in conjunction with the teaching of God's Word saying, yes, amen, it's wrong. Lord, forgive me for my sin. The unbeliever doesn't do that. The believer does that. The believer is not without sin in his mind. He may not have committed this sin in in practice. Literally committing this sin. But he has lusted in his mind and he's committed that sin. And that is every one of us. And so we confess it to the Lord. The unbeliever doesn't confess that. 
So, it has to do with one uh, involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. <clears throat> the unclean person. Uh, again, uh, Greek hendaitis, uh, they're near expressions and they're rounding out the thought that it's unclean in thought and life. An unclean individual. Now, we've seen it. You can, if you've ever been to California, you drive down Hollywood Boulevard, you'll see it. Unclean thinking, unclean lifestyle. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And he says, or a covetous man. What is a covetous man? Notice how he lumps that in, you see. Because really, the fornicator and the unclean person is a covetous individual. Why? Because they want something that God has not given to them. And there are times that people kill to get things that God has not given to them. These people, covetous individuals as well, they are idolaters. That is what they worship, pleasure. They long for, they desire for, they do anything for pleasure. We live in that world. Beloved, you know it in your own heart. Pleasure is not bad under the confines of God's word. Pleasure is bad when it goes outside of the boundaries that God has set. And we have all stepped outside of that boundary from time to time in thought, word, or action. So, Paul is dealing here with what's called a present tense. That means it's a habitual lifestyle, continual pattern in an individual's life. It's unbroken. They live together in a relationship outside of marriage and they fornicate daily is a relationship that is an abomination to the Lord. It's outside the will of God. Their mind is not changed on that because it takes the Spirit of God to bring change to the mind. And therefore, they live in that sin and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not speaking about somebody that stumbles and falls from time to time in their Christian life. This is speaking about somebody who habitually lives in these these, uh, continual sins, persistent in this sin, unrepentant in their life. They will not repent. They don't have an inheritance with Christ or with God. They are children of disobedience. They are children of darkness. They are children of wrath. They are under the wrath and condemnation of God. They are still in Adam, and they are still under the curse of God's law. That's what he's speaking about here. Don't be deceived, beloved. There is no such thing as homosexuals for Jesus. I've seen that, I've heard that. There's no such thing as one who is a transgender and he's living his life now for the glory of God. That's an abomination to God. And I don't care, I don't care what you say, I don't care what the world says. You can't judge them. Oh, I can judge them. I judge them with the word of God. That's what Jesus calls us to do. To be people that judge with righteous judgment. 
This is right, this is wrong, thus saith the Lord. It's God's standard, and that's how we are to judge. Why is the church falling down on that? Why are we those people that are... We're afraid to make the distinctions, which we do every day. You understand that, don't you? I saw a show where the cop pulled a guy over... Pulled his car over, and this guy gets, I mean, he's like six foot two, right? And he's got a bikini on, he's, he's got long hair, he's trans, he's trying to be a woman. And the cop, oh, I don't judge. You just did. In saying, I don't judge, you've judged. The saying is, oh, I'm not going to make a comment about it. Well, I'm going to make a comment about it. It's an abomination to the Lord. Be who God created you to be and put away your sin. Because that's what it is. You're not being the full expression of who you truly are. This idiocy. <clears throat> you know, I was a man trapped in a woman's body one time. Then my mom gave birth. <clears throat> they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Christ came to put away sin. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 6. That when we have a new nature, we have new desires. It's not a perfection in this life, but certainly is a new direction. Beloved, I am not perfect in this life. Far from it, practically speaking. But you know what? I am not who I once was. I am not who I am going to be, but I certainly am not who I once was. By the grace of God, the working of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying me, making me more and more like Jesus Christ as I continue to walk the road of holiness which God calls us to, without which no man may see the Lord. You remember when Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven? And people will say, well, that's no problem because I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But you go back and you read that again in the context, you'll see that it's said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is practical living in the life of the Christian. And what it's saying there is not the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, but the practical righteousness of the believer. If yours is not exceeding that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then you don't show yourself to be a believer. Not perfection, but certainly the direction of our life. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul makes a distinction in Galatians 5. He speaks about that in Galatians 19, uh, 5, 19 through 21 of the works of the flesh. And then 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are two different categories. But can the believer be nasty at times? Yes, but that's not the habitual lifestyle pattern. Can the believer lie? Yes, and they do. But is that the pattern of their life? No, they confess it to the Lord. Do they lust in their mind? Yes. Do they confess it? Yes. It's not the lifestyle pattern. It's not a continual, habitual thing. So recognize that. Uh, Recognize that speaking in the present tense, that this is a lifestyle pattern. These people don't inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul then goes on in verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a lot of empty words today. Vain words. What it means, the empty words, is void of truth. Words that are void of truth. There is no ring of truth to it. 
that you can live this lifestyle and be redeemed is contrary to the teaching of God's Word. That is not the truth. You cannot live being a practicing homosexual and think that you're in the kingdom. You cannot live as a fornicator living with your girlfriend or boyfriend and thinking that you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is contrary to the will of God. Don't let anybody deceive you. There's no such thing as rebels against Christ for Jesus Christ. It's contrary to His Word. There's lots of deception that goes on today. Uh, Joel Osteen is a deceiver. You can live your best life now. Well, if you're an unbeliever, you best get busy living it because this is your best life. Because afterwards, it's only pain and suffering and torment and sorrow as you're cast into the lake of fire. You're deceived. We are deceived so much as the church under a delusion because, beloved, we don't know the Word. It's the Word of God that gives clarity to the thought. It's the Word of God that discerns right from the wrong. It's the Word of God that can put down philosophies and ideologies and every vain thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's the Word of God by which we judge that which is true as opposed from that which is false. It's the Word of God by which we discern. You know, Satan comes and he comes with a little bit of truth mixed in with a lie trying to damn your soul. And if you're not knowing the truth of God's Word, you're going to be easily deceived. And the church ordinarily is. Okay, somebody comes along and says, give me money. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. I have to be nice, and so I give them money. I do not have to give them money. You recognize that? You're not a doormat to the world. You're to be discerning who you give money to. Being kind, being generous. We understand that. But that doesn't mean that everybody comes up, give me your home, and you've got to give it to them. You don't understand the gospel. When Jesus says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Does it mean I go and lop it off with a, with a chainsaw? It's not what he's speaking about. It's dealing with your sins quickly and radically. Not knowing the word makes us ignorant. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Matthew 22. The Sadducees come to Jesus and they speak to him about a woman who had a husband. And he died, leaving no offspring. And so the next man had her, which the next brother was a Leverett Institute, keeping it in a family situation. And so the next one had, and he died, leaving her child, and so on. So seven of them had her. And they said, in the resurrection, uh, whose wife will she be? Jesus said, you are deceived, not knowing the truth of the power of God. Beloved, to the degree that we don't know the truth, we're going to be deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. If you walk in the flesh, you dwell in the flesh, you think only of the flesh, you have no spiritual thoughts of the things of God, your no thoughts are no lofty unto the things of the Lord, you are not exalted in your thoughts to the things of Christ, you have no love and affection in your heart for Jesus Christ, you're not on your way to heaven. I don't care if you're a church member. I don't care if you've been a member of Hope Reformed Church for 50 years. If that's your life, if that's your lifestyle, you're on your way to hell. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's a present tense there. God's wrath is coming. 
God's wrath is coming now and it will continue to come until the consummation of it when all of those that have been gathered up as tares are cast into the furnace of fire. Let me ask at this point, where are you at? Are you of the flesh? Fleshy? What is of chief importance in your life? Uh, beloved, I'm not talking about the perfection of your life. I'm talking about the direction of your life. What is of chief importance? I, I'm wearied by running after all the things of the world and not the things of Christ. We will do things for the world that we won't do for the things of God. We won't plan to do the things of God. As a matter of fact, all too often, when the things of the world conflict with the things of God, which wins? For too many that name the name of Christ, it's the things of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm weary of that. I'm tired of that. I don't, I don't get that. Why of that which is of most important, of chiefest important in the life of a believer, redeemed by the grace in Christ Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb, He gave His life for us, and we won't give our lives for Him. It costs Christ His life to redeem us, and it calls the believer to give our lives as a living sacrifice to Him, and we won't do it. I want too much in this world. I want too many pleasurable things in this world. I want to follow after all the joys of this world. I want the things that I want. Something's wrong with us. And I can tell you it is start right there in the Word of God. Not cultivating Scripture in our lives. And then we're rocked in our assurance of whether or not we're truly believers. Now again, are you of the flesh? Are you of the Spirit? Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Are you walking in the light? Or are you walking in darkness? Paul says disobedience, uh, the sons of disobedience, God's wrath is coming. That's a fearful thing. Who knows the power of God's anger? Who knows the power of God's wrath? It's coming. Punishment is coming. Beloved, we have a covering. Every believer knows we run to the covering. Our covering is Christ. In Christ, the wrath has been societed. Christ has absorbed the wrath for His people. There is no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. Nevermore will we come under condemnation as the people of God. What a wonder. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But if you don't know Christ, you're still in darkness. You're still in your sin. You're still of the flesh. And your life demonstrates it. You are trusting in your church membership. You're trusting in all and everything apart from Jesus Christ. And the only hope is trusting in Him. So Paul says, you once... Um, therefore, he says, verse 7, don't be partakers with them. We're not to be partaking, fellowshipping, koinonia with the works of darkness. As if it's Okay. Now, I'm not talking about evangelizing people that are ensnared by Satan and sin. But oftentimes we don't even do that because we're too afraid to open our mouths. Why? Why are we so afraid? I don't, I don't get it. The, the cosmic king, the one who sits on the throne ruling over all things, commissioned his church to go out into all the nations 
and baptize them and teach them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we're sitting on our hands. I've seen some of you make more noise at a Husker game. And yet for the things of Christ, mum's the word. Zip it up. Be quiet. Might get persecuted. They might say some nasty thing about me. Believe me, they say the nasty things about you anyway. Speak. Bear the light. Expose the darkness. We are not to be partakers. We are not to join with them. We're not to think that's a good thing. Um, I saw the documentary. It's something with uh, this singer, David Archuleta. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something, he won American Idol. Now give it to the, the guy can sing. And he grew up Mormon. And he says in this, you know, is a crowd of people there and he's talking about his life and he says, um, it's, it's good to finally come out and be who I truly am and can show expression of the love that I have for my boyfriend. I won't deny that the Lord had given him talent to be able to sing. He's a professing homosexual. And he comes out and he says that. He got a standing ovation. We affirm you. Yes, we affirm you. That's the generation we live in. I am appalled at all the commercials you see on TV now that are thrusting homosexual relationships on us. All different kinds of commercials. Like this is okay. It's the standard thing. It's natural. Your kids are watching this. In the inoculation, the mindset, the delusion that's going on is to convince them uh, subliminally that that's okay. It's just a different lifestyle. It's not okay. God's word calls it an abomination. And we're not to partake of that. And you know, I don't want to hear the complaining. I want to see you doing something about it. What are you doing? We're good at the complaining and lamenting. And I don't like this and I don't like that. But we do nothing about it. Well, then be quiet. So you have a guy in a congregational meeting all the time. I always had a complaint. I had a complaint about this. I asked him, what's the solution? He goes, I don't have one. I said, well, then go sit down and shut up. Because you're part of the problem. Don't be partakers with them. Paul says, you once, right? This is past tense. We once. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. We once were darkness. John uses it, we were the darkness in John 1. We were, we once were. But now, there has been a transformation. We have been translated from darkness to light by the working of the Holy Spirit. This is solely and completely the grace of God. Beloved, we deserve to be left in darkness, but God has redeemed a multitude. And He is redeeming people daily. He's calling them out of the darkness of this world. Moral corruption. God-hating doctrine. Philosophies of the world. He is calling them out of that and bringing them into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Believing the gospel. Believing that in six days God created the heaven and the earth. And the seventh day He rested. And now we have a pattern by which we follow as those who are redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world does not. 
We declare that God created all things in heaven and on earth. The fish, all the creepy crawlies. And what a wondrous, marvelous creation that God has created. We declare that as those who are in the light. If you're in darkness, you say, wow, isn't evolution neat? Isn't this amazing how all this in one day, boom, and it exploded a big bang, and we have all of this stuff here now. And that there is nothing else but this life. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Get all that you can now, because this is all you have is this life. And those that are in the light say, no, this is not all there is. Our best life is coming. It's not now. We live in the in-between. We live in the already work of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, but not yet consummated. So we live in a struggle. But we live walking by faith, believing the promise of God, trusting His Word, that He will come again. He said it. He cannot lie. He will consummate all things. He will bring His body together from the four winds and the four corners of the world. He will gather them up. That's the promise of the Lord. He will punish sin. There are those that we say, they got away with murder. Nobody gets away with it. And so Paul says, we are now the light. But beloved, if we're light, we're illuminating. That's what light does. If we turned off all the lights and it was night and there were no street lights and it was completely dark in here and you turned on one light here, it would illumine the room. Now it wouldn't be the same as if all of a sudden all the lights came on, but there would be enough light to chase away the darkness. That's what the light does. Is it any wonder that when you come about and you start speaking the truth, it begins dispelling the darkness around you? People don't like it. They run, they scurry, they hide. They don't want to hear it. Oh, here comes the preacher again. I bet he's going to tell us about Jesus again. A friend on Facebook, and he would always say, I want to know about your family. I want to know about personal things. I said, defriend me. Because I don't do that stuff. I got one platform on Facebook and that's to continually bring Jesus to an unbelieving world. Come what may. Be light, beloved, because that's who you are. Matthew chapter 5. We are salt and we are light in Jesus Christ. Christ is the light of the world. We are united to Christ. He dwells in us. And therefore, we're, we're illuminators. So go on and illuminate. And go out with boldness, but go out with compassion. Why? Because who made you to differ? God made you to differ. We've not made ourselves to differ. God has made us to differ. Go out with long-suffering. Go out with wisdom, wisdom of the word. But go out and go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Call them to faith in Jesus Christ. Tell them about Jesus. How do I do that? Talk to them. Talk to the unbelieving world. Talk to the homosexuals. Talk to the idolaters. Talk to the fornicators. Talk to the, idol the adulterers. Talk to the thieves. Talk to them, beloved. Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. There are no righteous. When Jesus said, you know, that, uh, that we would be kept from the unrighteous of the world, it means the power of the evil one, not to be taken out of this world. That's what Paul says. Paul speaks in this way. If you were to be separate from the world, you would have to go out of the world. But God calls us to go into the world. We have a message. Do you not have a message? We have a word. And that word is Jesus saves. 
but you don't know how bad I've been. But Jesus saves even to the depths of the deepest sinner. There is no one who can out the grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. We have the wondrous, glorious message. Tell them what you know, beloved. Ask them questions. Field the questions with the word. Show them the light that is set upon a hill that illumines the darkness around. This is what God has called us to. Be that light for the glory of Christ. Amen. Shall we?